Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, March 7th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film news writer Ryan Scott. Happy Monday, everyone. How's it going? Happy Monday. We are back. Uh, Ryan, let's start off today's episode by talking about, of course, the Batman. I think um, on tomorrow's episode, several of the editors are going to get together and do like a sort of a deep dive, like spoiler filled discussion about the movie itself. But uh, it's Monday. I thought this would be a good opportunity to talk about how the film performed at the box office. And since you are our resident box office guru, why don't you run that down for me? How did the Batman do? Uh, the Batman do well, Ben, uh, <laughs> not you now the caveat to this is that pretty much every studio in town cleared out of the way. So there was first and foremost, just like zero direct competition, which is pretty par for the course for big superhero movies. But, uh, in any event, it, it helped, uh, the Batman, uh, made 134 million, uh, domestically. And that was about f- five and a half million more than the estimate said Sunday night. So it overperformed a bit. Mm. Um, it's really good, uh, especially for a three hour movie that is very adult skewing. Uh, I haven't seen a ton of conversation about that, but the fact is that Matt Reeves made a very adult Batman and a very long Batman. So the fact that it was able to make that kind of money, uh, being the third incarnation of Batman that we've seen on screen in a decade is pretty damn good. Uh, it's up to 240 million globally after the opening weekend. Even taking the inflated two hundred dollar but two hundred million dollar budget into account, uh, I I think that's great. I think that's exactly what Warner Brothers wanted and hoped for, and both critics and audiences are overwhelmingly on its side. So I mean, I I fail to see any sort of pitfall downside. I mean, this is kind of what you know a home run. Uh, all, all things considered. So let me ask you this, Ryan. I, um, you know, for big blockbuster movies, a lot of times the word critic proof gets thrown around a lot. Um, do you think that like, and I guess this is a broader question that has really nothing to do with the Batman at its very core, but just, I guess, broadly speaking, do you think, how much do you think uh, good reviews help a the, the box office prospects on an opening weekend for a movie like this? Do you think that there are enough people who are just locked in of like, I'm going to see this regardless? Or do you think that, 
enough people? Do you think that there's a, a percentage of the population that actually hears good word of mouth from sites like ours that that aren't people who obsessively read slash film every day that just sort of like somehow through I don't know those TV ads that that cite uh, you know the early Rotten Tomato scores or whatever it is. Do you think that there's like a a significant percentage of people who um, I don't know would go see a movie like this because they've heard good things about it versus those who are already just like I'm on board. I'm going to see this regardless of what the reviews say. Here's where I think this becomes helpful. Uh, so let's take a look at Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, for example. I think there. I think opening weekend can be critic proof. What is not critic proof is what follows. So Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice opens to 166 million dollars back in 2016. Huge. You know, it's Batman and Superman, of course. But what happens the next weekend? It drops 69% and only takes in 51 million. And then it's just a steep drop from there. So, you know, a movie that should have easily sailed to a billion dollars globally did not get mm-hmm. there. Um, I think with the Batman, what you're going to see is the hold next weekend is going to be much better. Now, yes, a lot of that has to do with a downright uninspiring lack of competition. <laughs> but, but... You know, so I think like I've even had friends ask me because I was sort of on the contrarian end of things where I like the Batman is good. I am not like out there, you know, flopping your wings for it. it, (laughs) No, it's it's a good movie. I'm I'm not here to have that conversation. But the point is, I think I am very much in the minority and I still like the movie. You know, so people, so, you know, people love this movie. So I think you're going to get a lot of repeat viewings. I think that's what helps. So you and, 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 and especially drops that big have been a little more common in the pandemic era. So if you can avoid like dropping 69% in your second weekend, Mm -hmm. that's where the help really comes into play. Yeah. So, so I think if that's a complicated enough answer to your question. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was looking for. (laughs) I'm I'm also curious if you think that there is one particular element of this that, uh, that sort of drew people in more than others, because I know that you're not like necessarily a a diehard Batman guy. Um, I am not. (laughs) <laughs> you mentioned that on the on the podcast before. And like, you know, uh, I guess in theory, people could be um, Batmaned out to some degree. There, there is a, a, a relatively small, but some, you know, a risk uh, regardless that, um, you know, audiences might not necessarily flock to this movie in huge numbers because there have been so many different Batman on, on screen in the past 15 years or whatever. Um, do you think that there's one particular thing i just you know from the outside looking in just a purely observer uh perspective that maybe drew people to this uh you know you know what's interesting is i've been doing like that tales from the box office column for a while and in going back and through some of like the somewhat modern blockbusters i've done that have done very well almost all comes back to a really good teaser trailer like it, it's so weird how like Skyfall, like when I was going over that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that teaser trailer was really good. <laughs> and then, like, you know, because you got to think about like what gets your average Joe out there. And it, and that first the one that was like, what, two years ago now the, at that first DC fandom, mm-hmm. that first the Batman trailer was really good. And I honestly just think people having no idea what to expect, having the Twilight guy is your new Batman. Mm-hmm seeing that trailer i think that that from that moment people were very interested and the marketing continued to be good and it and there wasn't like any negative mixed stuff it was all like positive so there was nothing to deter people from the moment that first bit of big marketing hit yeah you know, i'm no marketing expert but i do think if you have a teaser trailer that's that good and the rest of the marketing kind of keeps up with that you know that's probably going to 
keep people on board. Yeah. Superhero movies sell themselves at this point as long as you don't shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> if Venom Let There Be Carnage can make $500 million of worldwide box office without China, the Batman stands to do well if you just don't screw it up. Man, wow. Yeah, that's that's kind of wild to think about. Um, okay, so uh, Sandy Schaefer wrote an article for us called How Does the Batman's Opening Weekend Compare to Other Superhero Movies, which I thought was interesting. So I'm going to link to that in the show notes if you want to uh, just see, yeah, like, the, like it says on the tin, how this movie performed in comparison to some of the other things that have happened recently. Um, so let's move on, Ryan. Let's talk a little bit about some news that just broke right before we started recording today's episode, which is a God of War TV show uh, is in the works. Tell me about that. Yeah, so uh, there has been whispers of a God of War adaptation of some kind for a long time, presumably as a movie for a long time, but now uh, Amazon Prime Video is in negotiations for a live-action TV show uh, based on the Sony video game franchise of the same name. Uh, should be noted in negotiations, not no deals have closed yet. However, it seems like everything's going in the right direction because... Uh, if the adaptation comes about, it seems like the Expanse creators, uh, Mark Fergus and Hawk Ostby, I'm not sure if I'm saying his last name correctly, are already on board, as is the Wheel of Time executive producer, uh, Rafe Judkins. Again, not positive I'm saying that name correctly. But yeah, so Amazon, who already has Fallout and Mass Effect as TV shows, uh, looking to bring another gigantic video game to the small screen. Interesting. Uh, okay. I think... Um... I think the the guys that you mentioned there who are involved with the Expanse are also a couple of the writers who were on the very first Iron Man movie. If my, if my memory yeah, they've been kicking around a long time. I believe that's one of their other big credits. Um, but yeah, so so that's that's kind of it. There there's no you know plot details, no casting, no none of that. But I mean, this is the new frontier. With every other big franchise snapped up somewhere increasingly you're seeing video games with the following getting snapped up by these streaming services. You've got, you know, resident evil at Netflix. You've got uh, twisted metal at Peacock. You've got uh, the last of us at HBO. This is just the new, this is the new thing. So, yeah. So what is your familiarity with God of war? Have you played those games a lot? I've not. So I am not a PlayStation owner and uh, to my detriment, this is one of those series of video games, much like uncharted that if I had a PlayStation, I would have played the, play the unholy sin out of but um i have watched like some some walkthrough like people will put together those videos on youtube that pretty much take all the cutscenes and turn them into a movie mm -hmm. uh, i've done some of that with god of war but you know it, pretty peripheral understanding of like ooh big guy fights monsters type of thing yeah i'm actually playing it right now the the most recent game which i think came out in like 2018 2019 or something and i want to say it won game of the year it was like a very big big deal and really um i guess beloved game in the in the video game community and i'm just sort of i consider myself like a um i don't know like a a very loose uh, video game player i probably play one new game a year or something just to sort of give people a, a baseline of my involvement and um so yeah this is one of those games where i heard good things about it for so many years that i think like maybe for christmas i got it for christmas or something this past christmas so um, i'm finally just like diving into that and um this is the first god of war game that i've ever played and i know that there's like a whole mythology that that was sort of built up before this new game but this game i think i heard was like a good sort of a jumping on point and it's basically about yeah it's sort of like a fallen demigod i guess as far as i can glean so far who has a, a small child and uh the uh demigod's uh, wife passes away and the the plot of this game is 
the the god and his young son have to travel to the top of a nearby mountain peak to i guess spread the wife's ashes or or bury her her remains or something up uh, at the top of this peak and there's all sorts of um, obstacles and supernatural creatures and uh, you know other um, i guess um uh, opponents from the demigods past that come to try to stand in their way as they're on this quest. So uh, I, I'm curious if they will use that uh, framework as the storytelling narrative, you know, to, to build this new TV show, or if they're just going to maybe use a couple of the, the main characters and, and do their own thing. But um, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's a familiar property and that's a, uh, that's been a common refrain um, probably for as long as slash film has been uh, in existence of Hollywood, just taking familiar things and, and sort of trying to spin gold out of them. So in, in whatever form they can. So um, yeah. Can, can so, I ask you a question since you've played a little bit more of it than yeah. I have? Mm-hmm. Uh, I always saw this as, cause I've been writing about movies for a while and there's been talk of, you know, movies at points with this, this always struck me as something that really seemed like it should have been a movie. Uh, do you, do you see this working as like more of a TV show? Cause this strikes me as this really just does strike me as something that needs a movie. Well, I mean, yeah, I remember writing about this and, and reading about it and like, I want to say like Brett Ratner or somebody was, it was attached in yeah. like 2007, 2008. So yeah, this has definitely been in the works for a long time. Um, just from the way I, I probably, I'm probably, I don't know, four or five total hours into this game so far. And the way that it, this game plays is sort of, um, it sort of feels a little episodic in nature, honestly. There's there's like okay. little different uh, parts of the map that you can unlock, and it's sort of it, I can see it as like, oh yeah, you go to this area, fight these people, learn this bit of information, and then move on, um, meet this character who's sort of a guide figure. She can point you in the right di- direction over here. I can definitely see it playing out in episodic uh, fashion. And again, but but that is coming from somebody who has no idea about the the immense amount of backstory and mythology from all of the previous games. So um, I don't know if they're going to try to cram all of that stuff into a TV show. Maybe that is a way to do it to sort of like spread it out. So you're not just getting huge exposition dumps all the time. Cause that would be the danger of doing it in, in movie form, right? It's just like, it's two and a half hours of, um, constant um, exposition and backlog and and just trying to catch people up on what the hell is going on with this guy. Um, that That's the worst version of what it could be. Sure. So um, yeah, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of something like, um, well, you mentioned The Last of Us earlier and that's that, like you said, that's coming to HBO. And that is about this older grizzled guy and this young sort of plucky character who's like a sidekick who he's trying to protect in, in this uh, brutal post-apocalyptic uh, landscape. And that kind of dynamic, I mean, it's, it's slightly different, but that vague shape of a story, I, I could see that working in TV form here too. And, and The Last of Us, I think there was talk about a Last of Us movie for a long time. And there that, was for a long time, yeah. They but, ended but the up Last making of us the to decision me, for the TV show, but yeah. But The Last of Us to me, when they said that was going to be a TV show, I'm like, oh yeah, small scale, you know, wasteland thing. Yeah. The God of War, gigantic monsters. Gigan- I'm just thinking of like the scale of it. Yeah. You know, sort of like it, 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 it seems big scale on T big scale on TV has always been weird to me. And that yeah. was one of, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's more where I was coming. Well, from. yeah. And, and you've raised that issue before on the podcast of like, I don't know, like this sounds pretty expensive. Are they going to be able to do it well on uh, for the small screen? Yeah, and I think, yeah. I think the fact that this is an Amazon project and um, maybe that speaks uh, spe- that, that sort of bodes well, just because they have, they clearly have the money to spend on something like this. I, I um, guess. Yeah. 
So I don't know, despite uh, the the first teaser trailer for uh, the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, not necessarily looking. I was going to ask you about that was my next um, question, because my thing is like, I didn't think that trailer looked very good. Yeah, I don't mean like I'm like holding out hope or whatever, but I just mean like it, it, it looked a little uninspiring, like visually. Yeah, and, a and, little, and I'm like, uh, for all the money they're spending on it, like Jesus, you know. Yeah, a little chintzy on the CG there. Um, yeah, yeah. But hopefully they'll, you know, I, I think they were trying to strike a tone of like, you know, we have many, many months before the show comes out. We're just going to paint with a broad brush of like, this is the world we're putting you in. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, as as often happens with uh, with movie trailers that are released a year before or six months before the movie comes out, by the time the, the VFX and those trailers, if you compare those to what actually, you know, is, is in the finished version of the, the, um, the movie, it's often, it looks way better in the final version. So hopefully yeah, the same thing will happen there. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, as somebody who I, I can't even say that I'm a fan of God of War cause I'm only a few hours into this first, this, my first experience with this game, but just the, um, the idea that it's going to be on Amazon prime, uh, I, I think the money is there to do it right if they want to do that. So um, we'll have to see how it goes. But uh, I guess every single thing we're talking about here is, uh, you know, a pre-existing property. And the next thing here <laughs> is uh, a new alien movie that's coming from Fede Alvarez, who directed Don't Breathe. And this was a, a sort of surprise announcement that came, I think, Friday night, like right as, as we were. Yeah, this was a gigantic surprise. Yeah, uh, a weird uh, timing on this one. It was almost like they were like dumping it at the end of a news week because they didn't want people to pay attention to it for some reason. But um, yeah, we were definitely paying attention. Uh, Ridley Scott, who directed, obviously, the, the first Alien movie, uh, is producing this new film. There have been discussions about a new film for a little while now, and obviously a an, uh, an alien TV show is still in the works. I think um, what is his name? Uh, the guy Noah Hawley. Yeah, is behind Fargo. Noah Hawley is is definitely still working on that. Um, this is going to be a new batch of characters for this new uh, alien movie. Um, Fede Alvarez, like I mentioned, directed Don't Breathe. He directed the remake of Evil Dead several years ago, and uh, yeah, the I think it was the um, the head of uh, is it Hulu or no 20th century studios um, yeah. said that they, they picked up this pitch or uh, the idea based purely off of the strength of Fede Alvarez's pitch. And he evidently made this pitch to Ridley Scott several years ago and Ridley Scott, just like nothing happened to it for a long, long time. Alvarez just sort of figured like, Oh, you know, I, I, I shot my shot basically and nothing came of it. And then Ridley Scott just like called him up and said, Hey, I've still been thinking about your pitch after all these years. Uh, do you want to still do this thing? And he just jumped on board. So we don't know exactly what his take is, like what that pitch really is, but we do know it involves uh, new characters. And I don't think it's going to be following in the path of movies like Prometheus and and Alien Covenant. So um, whether or not that means that uh, Ridley Scott will ever get to, I guess, finish out that uh, proposed trilogy of movies that like lead into the original remains to be seen. But um, yeah, this is supposed to be a, a fresh start. Um, uh, the the uh, what is his name? Steve Aisbell, I think, is is how you pronounce yeah. it. He's the head of 20th Century Studios, and he said it's not a film that has to be all things to all people. With those gargantuan budgets, they get to be authentically what they are, and this is closer to its genre roots. So, uh, what do you think about all this, Ryan? Um, the the idea of a new Alien movie, and then the idea that this movie is going to debut directly on Hulu. Uh, the, the Friday, Friday, you probably could have hear me, heard me screaming hell yeah, with a major caveat. Um, (laughs) I, I, I love almost everything about this. I love that Ridley Scott's the one that got it going. 
Um, I love that Fede Alvarez is directing it. This is one of my favorite franchises. I love what's being said about it. Um, you know, as someone who's read a lot of the alien comics and stuff, there's a lot of cool stories that can be told sort of getting away from the characters we know. Um, I think it sucks that this is going straight to Hulu. Like, I think that sucks, but, and I think it really sucks that Scott's not going to get to make, finish his little trilogy because Covenant ended with that big cliffhanger. And now we're just going to kind of move away from that. Like that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's really cool, mostly with like a little bit of with a little side of, of sour from me. But but uh, yeah, that's mostly where I stand. It honestly, it reminds me a little bit of the, the Predator movie that's coming also that's directly. Ex- that's I exactly think directly what to, they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. To Hulu as well. Um, Dan Trachtenberg is directing that. And like, I'm I'm excited about that movie, too. It just has this, this sort of like taint to it of like, ah, man, I really wish that this wasn't going to be debuting on a streaming yeah, that, service. Like, that like a new Predator movie is just going to the Hulu homepage. It feels wrong. Yeah. It you does. know, like it, it doesn't feel right. And it and it, and I mean, I think that especially what's uh, well. I don't want to get into this too much, but like Predator really since the first movie has not been like super financially viable at the box office. Mm. Whereas like Alien, on the other hand. So I, I sort of understand, OK, fine, we want to do something weird with Predator. We can't really risk that at a box. So, OK, fine, let's let's give Dan Trachtenberg like a weird thing and let's go, you know, let's not worry about getting box office. But like if you can't get an alien movie made that can go to theaters now, we are in a bad place. Like, especially I think because that, horror is like one of the few, you know, yeah. sort of stalwart things that has been performing really well, even in the midst of the pandemic. Right. Well, and what's really strange to me too, especially because what the way they're talking about these movies, these 20th century movies that are going to go to Hulu, they're not going to have gigantic budgets. So like, what's interesting is, okay, fine. Let's make like a slightly smaller, let's say mid budget alien movie. Like, what does Disney have to lose by putting that in theaters before you dump it to streaming? Worst case, you make your budget back and then it goes to streaming and the same people care once it's on streaming. Right. That's almost like what happened with Encanto, where like Encanto made like a little over 200 million at the box office, which pretty much accounted for its budget. And then it did gigantic numbers on Disney Plus. Mm -hmm. So you kind of get the best of both worlds that way. So I, I, I don't really understand the thinking and not releasing a new alien movie in theaters. If you're going to end up making it a streaming play anyway, why not take the money you can get? You know, I yeah, don't know. it was kind of like it reminds me of um, when the pandemic began. And I think it was Universal that was the studio that said, like, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, like, give ourselves a window here. And they were very transparent about, like, how they were going to handle their theatrical releases and said they basically said, like, if these movies perform well, we'll keep them in theaters for as long as we feel like they're performing well, and then we'll put them on streaming or or VOD or whatever. Um, And I don't think any other studios, I I could be wrong about this, but I don't think any other studios like came out as openly uh, with their um, theatrical strategy like that. And that, that does seem to be like the smartest thing to me, because like you just said, I mean, even if it, it makes a lot of money in opening weekend and then just completely tanks. Okay. Take it out of theaters after three weeks or whatever. Like, you know, just give people the chance, give, give, I'm always in favor of like giving the audience the, the, uh, the choice, the opportunity to see the movie, however they want to see it. And even if it is a limited release, at least give them that. And I don't know, maybe they, 
maybe they will. I think, I don't know. I, I, I should have pulled this up before, but I feel like there, there might be something with the predator as well, or the uh, Dan Trachtenberg's predator movie as well, where like it, it may be getting some theatrical play. Uh, and maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe that's what they're planning to do with this new alien movie as well. But like it will, it will also debut on Hulu. So yeah, um, maybe that option will be there for people. And if that's the case, then great. And I have nothing to complain about really, but um Aside from just like the weirdness of opening day, just popping up Hulu and seeing, you know, the the tile for a brand new alien movie. And yeah, like- it, it feels it feels wrong. And I think the problem is, too, with all this streaming stuff, it's like the homepage and these algorithms can only hold so much stuff. Yeah. So like a lot of the stuff that goes to these streaming services, it's destined to just be forgotten, yeah. you know, like and that's and, and the, the, the idea of like an alien not that an alien movie has a lot of risk as being forgotten but like if it's going directly to hulu that means we're probably not going to get a blu-ray release you know that means we're probably like like just the the idea that it literally kind of only exists in that ethereal streaming tile is Mm -hmm. it it feels like icky yeah (laughs) it doesn't feel good Okay, so I want I want to see if you feel good about this next story, Ryan, <laughs> which is uh, there's a, you know I guess this was like right around actually it was like a back to back one two punch of this new alien movie uh, being announced and then also and Friday night around that same time there was a new announcement about an I Am Legend sequel that brings back Will Smith and also has an interesting co star attached to it. Tell me about that project. Yeah, so uh, I am Legend. The um, what was that? Two thousand, yeah, two thousand and seven. The year I graduated high school. Uh, two thousand seven sci-fi flick uh, is getting a sequel. Um, because everything old is new again, and yeah, Will Smith is is coming back to star, uh, which is uh, brings up some interesting stuff. But uh, but alongside Black Panthers and Creed's Michael B. Jordan, uh, which is a crazy duo to put on screen and uh yeah they're uh, according to to deadline's report their deals are done uh as is akiva goldsman's who is going to return to write the script so you've got will smith and akiva goldsman coming back with it, one of the biggest stars in hollywood right now no director attached yet but this does seem to be going and warner brothers is ready to go um you know that's uh and you know to their credit uh, the first i am legend made 585 million dollars at the box office in 2007 uh against a 155 million dollar budget that's pretty damn good so you know um what is weird though is that i believe in the theatrical ending will smith died but there's like an alternate ending in which he doesn't die so are they like huh. kind of going to the alter? Because I haven't seen this in a very long time. But but yeah, the, I believe it's the alternate ending that he lives. So are they going to kind of lean into the alternate ending? I don't know. That's that's the strange part to me. But yeah, that is fascinating. I was gonna. I was hoping that you'd seen it more recently than I have because I probably saw it. I, I know I saw it in theaters, and then maybe I saw it one time after that, probably like a year later or something. And I have not. This is not a movie that is regularly in rotation at my house. I do not regularly in the exact same boat. I, I saw it when it came out, and I believe the same thing. Maybe when the dvd released or something i I think i saw it or when it was on cable or something but i but i mean yeah it's not because i also didn't particularly love it so yeah and i I remember being particularly let down by the ending of the movie which i I, my my memory is a little hazy but it it sort of felt like will smith should have died at a certain point and then the um the character who ends up surviving i thought that the way that they survived was a little sketchy and that ends up with them going on to this new colony where there's a bunch of survivors or something like that um which feels familiar now i mean i feel like the the ending of uh of like bird box for example has like almost the exact same ending um but uh 
but yeah, so the idea of a sequel is really um, is especially interesting considering Will, Char- Will Smith's character is dead. Uh, I remember there being a prequel in the works at one point where um, D.B. Weiss, who was one of the creators of Game of Thrones, uh, was writing the script and Akiva Goldsman was going to be back to uh, produce um, that version. And Francis Lawrence was going to come back to direct it. He directed the original film. Um, and it's supposed to, it was supposed to follow Will Smith's character in the last days, like right before the, the virus um, sort of mutates the people and turns them into like those zombie creatures oh, that weird. he's basically fighting against. Um, so doing that now obviously would take on a whole different uh, type of tenor considering what's happened with the pandemic in the past, in the past few years. Yeah. But um, so it's probably, I guess a wise move that they aren't doing that. Uh, that project I think was abandoned or that version of the project was abandoned in 2008, 2009 or something like that when it never really came together. But a sequel and then adding Michael B. Jordan to the mix, I'm wondering if it's going to be one of those like in between cool kind of things where they like go back into the the story that we saw in I Am Legend and somehow it's like a side story, you know, where it's like kind of flashback, but kind of like a, yeah, like a, like a side tale or <laughs> like Will Smith is, Will Smith is aged enough where I don't think you could do that. Where, well, like, even uh, even with uh, the technology that they utilized in um, well, I, the okay, Ang Lee movie, I, guess, I think that would be a weird pitch, though. I think I think it's more likely that you somehow explain him surviving, and you just do you just do the you just do it. You just yeah. I don't know. It's I think there's a the only the only thing is like one of the weird things about that first movie is how bad the creatures looked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, and obviously that's fixable. Yeah, you know there there's a there's some really good stuff in that first movie, and and like these are two, you know, don't ever count Will Smith out, and and Michael B. Jordan is pretty close to batting a thousand at this point, so like you know, it, this would be tough to sort of like count out entirely. Like, I know I'm that's curious. the thing is like I'm I'm oh sorry I interrupted you I was no, just no, gonna I'm say sorry. like the the idea of um of like Michael B. Jordan being attached to this like you know when Creed was first announced I think there was some uh, pushback or like eye rolling of like oh really I don't know about this and Creed ended up being really great I mean obviously he's so good yeah. he was he was uh just an actor in that project and I I don't, I don't know if he produced that one as well but he didn't um, produce Creed but then then he kind of got his juice and started producing yeah and he's like producing and directing the upcoming Creed 3 but anyway sorry I cut you off what were you gonna say no I was just gonna make a joke about it if anyone remembers in in the the, the I believe it was Times Square in the first uh, I Am Legend there's the Batman and Superman movie oh, that's banner right. and, yeah. and and that kind of that. sort of predicted. So what, like, what movie do they predict in this one? <laughs> like, you know, like what, what's the, you know? Oh wow, yeah. yeah. Oh man, that that would be that would be really cool if they actually do predict something and then it comes to pass again, like fifteen or, years or after like, that. Or or if they or if they like because now like you're sort of more in the future again. So what you could do is sort of like take a movie that did end up happening and like put some like joke marketing. Like you could have like the Matrix <laughs> Resurrections Resurrections poster in there or something, yeah. <laughs> you know, like like it, it, just to kind of nod to nod to things that did happen instead of things they predicted. Yeah, yeah, man, and yeah, I'm just I'm so curious, like if they're if we're gonna see you know Will Smith just like trudging into that uh, that community of of survivors from the end of the movie, if they're like with a new dog, and, yeah. <laughs> like, how, how the hell are they gonna do this? I don't know. I'm very curious, but he's um, got a cat this time. It's not. Like, <laughs> but yeah i think uh broadly speaking you're right like you know it would be kind of just like james cameron it's foolish to um 
to uh, bet against Will Smith. Um, you know, he's had his his fair share of misses, but uh, he has such a solid track record that um, I, I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt. So no uh, question. And I think and I think, too, at this point in his career, if if Michael B. Jordan's going to sign on to something like he isn't he he doesn't he does not need to do something that he does not feel strongly can come together in a good way. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Like, so, so I feel strongly that like if, if he got on board, there must be something on the page that says, we kind of think this can be pretty good. Yeah. Well, I hope you're right, Ryan. And I, I think you probably are. So um, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's show. Uh, you can find more about all the stories that I mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.